Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. You're listening to the Aramco 2022 F1 Car Reveal Series. The race is on. And the Haas VF22 is the first of the new for 2022 Formula 1 cars to be launched. But what does it tell us about this new breed of F1 cars? And is there any reason to expect anything more from Haas than another season at the back of the grid? I'm Ed Straw, and joining me to answer those questions and more are Gary Anderson and Scott Mitchell. Well, it's great that finally the 2022 pre-season is coming to life. The Race F1 podcast will, of course, be with you throughout the launches and pre-season testing. So this is the first part of what's going to be a very busy and exciting time. Scott, hello. But before we let Gary loose on talking about the car, can you just explain exactly what we're looking at in these images? Has called it a livery launch, but it is more than that, isn't it? I thought you were going to ask me to explain my hat, Ed, um, because normally you're very judgmental when I uh, appear on the podcast with with such things. Uh, no, the so the images that we've seen of the of this, I think, um, probably fair to characterise it as a sort of halfway point between um, a livery launch and the full and a full 2022 unveiling. This isn't, you know, covers off at Barcelona the morning of the test and therefore that's exactly what car they're going to go testing with um this is a i think fair to call it an early evolution of the um of the the vf 2022 i don't think it is uh it's not a livery pl- uh painted onto a show car but it is also i suspect rather different from the version we'll see at the first preseason test in barcelona and then of course what we'll probably see in the the early races exactly how different depends on how much Haas technical director Simone Resta wants to keep his cards close to his chest at this point. Well, there's a few uh, obvious areas in the car where the detail looks a little bit light, but it is, as you say, a legitimate car. It's not, as some people have suggested, the Formula One show car, just put in a livery. It is a real Haas design. So it's as much information as we've got about any real 2022 cars at this stage, which makes it interesting. Now, Gary, as ever, you've poured over the images that we've got. So what can you tell us about this car? Well, yeah. The first thing, obviously, is that I can only comment on what I see. So, what we, what we've been, what's been released is uh, what they have at this point in time. Obviously, and as you say, there'll be changes. I'm sure before it uh, hits the track in Barcelona, and even more changes before it hits the track in Bahrain. But um, it, in general, it's a very, very similar um, to the the show car that F1 produced for the British Grand Prix last year to show everybody what the uh, the cars would visually look like, taken from a set of regulations that were all quite differently conceived in the fact that they're 
it's all about coordinates all around the car, X, Y, Z positions where things can be, and then you can have deviation on that uh, on that surface. But if we, you know, if we start, it's it's got the, uh, you know, the, the the four piece, four element front wing, a very a very straight and simple front wing as such on the main plane, curling up into the end plates, which have got these slot gaps running right through to a certain height up the end plate, so that that lower corner of the end plate basically has better, more consistent airflow through those slot gaps. Um, the, the the tire itself turning on the ground pushes airflow inside and outside, basically, of the tire. But because of the low pressure underneath the car, it tends to get pulled inside more than outside. And that's not really what you want so much. So by having those those uh, end plates part of the, the, of the, the flap, the ends of the flap, you've got those slot gaps, so there'll be quite a reasonable flow going around the outside of the tyre to try and entice that uh, contact patch displacement um, around the outside instead of around the inside, leaving the underfloor to work more efficiently. And again, um, the flaps themselves, you know, the trailing edge is fairly defined. It's uh, much more aggressive than it was on the on the show car in the fact that they're trying to sort of get that, that wake that comes from that aggressive part of the flap in between the and inside the front, uh, the front wheel and tire, and through the the sort of undercut side pod again, so it doesn't affect the underfloor of the car. So it all starts at the beginning, and then it sort of heads off rearwards into the the new tunnels, which very high leading edge on them. Um, and that that again is to try to make the car better in in, uh, in turbulence. Basically, it's it's picking up decent airflow uh, at the front of the car. Uh, is picking up a bigger volume of it, so in effect that uh, the turbines won't have as big an effect, there won't be as big a percentage of that flow affected by the turbines. So again, logical stuff. The, the inlet of the side pods is a bit like the older IndyCar solution used to be with the, the large turning vanes in it to turn some of that airflow out the side of the floor, um, meaning that you're, the diffuser's not working on that mass flow that's coming in the front, it's working on a, a, a bit less of that. So... Um, it, it, again, yeah, it's all about getting good flow to that that underfloor and trying to keep it consistent, letting the diffuser do its work and getting the maximum of ground effect out of the car as possible. Because you have to have downforce from somewhere. This car is going to be more downforce from the underfloor, less downforce from the wings. So, you know, as a, again, it's it's going to change lots before the first race for sure. But uh, it's, a, it's a nice, neat, tidy package. One thing that's interesting is the suspension. Obviously, Haas has its technical partnership with Ferrari. It takes as many of the what used to be called non-listed parts, now they're transferable components as it can from Ferrari. Rear suspension's pull rod configuration, that's expected. The front suspension, though, is push rod, which is a bit of a surprise because everyone's expecting Ferrari to go to pull rod. But there's a few details in the way that render shows it that means we're a little bit suspicious about whether that's a legitimate front suspension, aren't we? Yes, um, it's hard to sort of to see it all but the the push rod itself has has moved or the the end of the push rod and the outboard end it uh, looks like it's theoretically coming off the the bottom of the wishbone the bottom outboard joint of the wishbone which is on a push rod suspension that's a conventional place to take it from on last year's push rod suspensions on all of the cars it, it came off the upright and you were using the upright actually as a when well, the steering lot as a device for changing the corner weights of the car or lowering the front ride height. With this sort of system, you, you, you wouldn't be able to do that. And it has been, or partially outlawed, I suppose you might call it, for 2022. You can't have as much ride height change on the car. 
but also the, the inboard end of the push rod. Um, to me, it looks as though it's very neatly trimmed off, so it leans against the monocoque just. Um, I can't see the aperture, aperture that it would have to go through. Um, and even with the, uh, you know, an aperture there, you have to have some sort of clearance around it to, to allow a bit of movement. I can't see that either. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if this is a, a piece of aerodynamic uh, carbon tube that's cut and, and nicely taped into position so that you can't see it. And it might, the, the, the end result of the car that we see um, for for testing will actually be a bit different. Um, again, on the top of the chassis, there are fixings for uh, an opening to get into that front suspension area, but that would still be there because you'd have to get into the pedals anyway. So um, I think that's a, a wait and see type sort of situation because it's it doesn't look quite like it should do, but then maybe they have done something trick there. We've heard rumours that Ferrari are going for a, a Polaroid front suspension on their new car. And I don't see any reason why um, Haas wouldn't do the same because they, they do have you know, a good technical relationship and um, they can buy those sort of parts from the Ferrari team and it would be one of the first things you do because the how the front of the car works will affect aerodynamics further downstream. So if you're going to sort of follow the Ferrari direction, you have to start at the front end of it and, and keep going. Yeah, and it certainly does seem likely that they're going to follow the Ferrari design because they take Ferrari parts. In the past, they have had a little bit of a menu of parts because although they take the latest specification each year, they're the only team that always takes the latest specification. This year, there's probably only going to be one configuration. So that's something we'll be looking at very closely when we get to Barcelona. And there are, Gary, on this car, a few other things missing. The DRS is missing. Not good news for the anti-DRS crowd because the DRS is in the rules and it, it will be on the car. There's bits of the car we can kind of see in the general shape that are accurate and some details that I think we can trust, but we're going to be comparing these images quite closely to the real car in a few weeks, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, that's the important thing. It's, it's really what, what shows up in in Barcelona for the first test that we'll want to really take a, a very close look at because that will be real. Yes, between the Barcelona test and the Bahrain test and then the Bahrain race, I'm sure things will change again, but you know, the on-track car has to comply with the regulations. So what we'll see in, in Barcelona will be a relatively correct piece of kit. There might be developments for those for the next test and, and the race. I, I mean, it's a neat and tidy package. The, the side pods are all neat and tidy, and you can see the, the, the floor detail. Um, there is decent detail down the sides of the floor still, not by any means as much as we had in the past, but there are decent little turning veins and, and bits and pieces there. So it's not... Uh, it's not too far away from what it, what it will be. The, the, the bit that's sort of, um, again, still a, a little bit confusing as to how the the regulations will all work out as far as the things you can have there. If you look at the, the diffuser, for example, of the car um, and the turning vanes that are beside the diffuser, they are very, very like the, the shoe car. Um, there is no difference in the detail as such. So there's lots of things on this car that look like the shoe car, but we've, we've always said that the new regulations are very prescriptive um, and without actually drawing out all these X, Y, Z coordinates and finding the positions of everything, it's really difficult to know where the, what the working window was like. Um, I don't think it's very big, so I do think the, the cars will all be very similar. However, there will be subtle differences and it's those subtle differences that can make the the difference in performance. So we have to wait to, to see how that all unfolds, really. We have to wait to see a couple more cars as well because, obviously, Haas wanted to get their car out early. They get lots of column inches for it. Um, 
and there'll be lots of podcasts done about it. So, you know, what we're looking at is what Haas wanted to do, release their car and say, we're, you know, we're here for 2022. We're more or less up and running and uh, this is our product. Well, that, of course, is the bigger picture for for the Haas team. Scott, it's worth looking at the uh, the changes that have gone on with this team because although it's structured in the same way with its kind of multi-campus concept, the Ferrari partnership, there is quite a significant change on the design side, isn't there, that's been going on over the past year or so. Yeah, this is the first um this is the first Haas car to be designed in the all new design office in Maranello. We should probably stress nicely ring fenced from the Ferrari organization as required in the rules. Unsurprisingly stressed by by both parties that that one. Um I guess how competitive the Haas is is going to define how controversial that the fact that Haas's design office is going to be in Maranello will, will, will prove to be. Um but it's this is all part of um you know Ferrari's staffer uh, Simone Resta he he went off to Alfa Romeo he's now at Haas as their technical director he's overseen a, a re a restructure of the technical team putting a many of the same faces just in slightly different places in the organization and then a change of how they do things the idea was always to wean themselves off of the Dallara um dependence for want of a better word um, and then basically have it so that the actual design of the t- uh, design of the car was done more by by more Haas personnel than Dallara personnel, and that's what's happened. So there's fewer representatives from Dallara involved in the design of the car, and more from Haas. And by that, you can read more from Ferrari because it's basically a lot of Ferrari people that are now working for Haas, and this is a result of the budget cap. Because at the same time, Haas has wanted to expand its, um, I guess, independent or self-reliance on the aero side. Uh, Ferrari has needed to find alternative places, basically, for, for, for personnel because they're having to cut back with the budget cut. So that's a lovely little combination or not necessarily a coincidence but situation for the these two partner teams to to find themselves in one team wants to grow one team needs to cut back this is the perfect solution so this is the first car that's been created as a result of this new way of working as such i think we should probably take that to mean the 2022 car is probably not the absolute maximum that this organization can can produce because a lot of time last year especially the first half of last year went into setting this new structure up and making sure it worked and obviously it's the first time that this new way of doing things is going to be working on and developing a car through a season so 2022 should the 2022 car should be relative to the opposition obviously more competitive than last year it would hard be hard and problematic and worrying if they made a car that was less competitive than than the 2021 car but it should also be the start of a process that makes Haas a, a better team in the in, in the long term. So they very much see this as short-term gains, but also part of a bigger picture. And Gary, you've uh, been involved with pretty much every different type of team structure over the years. And you even, in fact, have worked with Delara when they were supplying a team, when they were working with uh, with Midland, one of the previous iterations of, of, of Aston Martin. So does this sound like a logical evolution for Haas to do a little bit more of its own design work? Yeah, it is. I mean, you've got to control your own destiny somehow. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of Ferrari engineers have come to work for Haas because of the, as you say, the um, the um, budget um, control, and Ferrari just couldn't 
fit into that budget control as many people as they had. So they've all come with good, solid Ferrari background understanding and whatever you like to call it to fit with the Haas organization. But to at some point in time, you've got to understand that what you've got is all of your all yours. You can't just ship it out to another company to sort of design your race car for you. So I think the the, the sooner that Haas take a bit more control over their their destiny, the the more consistent it'll be, the better it'll be, and and the more they'll know where to work from. Um, nothing wrong with Delara whatsoever, and I'm sure Delara is still heavily involved in it because you can't just switch that switch on and hope it uh, replaces everything else you had working before. So uh, I'm pretty sure there will be some continuity through there. But uh, you know, it is it is the way to move forward. We, you know, whenever we sort of started Jordan, we had the first thing we always had was our own design facility. Then everything else you you looked at being done outside, manufacturing wise and and whatever. But the most important thing is the design that you 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 design what you think you're designing and you get it manufactured to achieve a goal. And if you have to alter your, yourself on the way design wise, that's the first the first part you have to take and and, and get the get your finger on the pulse, I suppose you might call it. Um interesting one of the things I mean we talk about perhaps as changes on this as house car, the the rear suspension, it's so uh, you know, incorporate it with the gearbox and the gearbox with the back of the engine. Um, that I don't. I think what we're looking at here is is probably the 2022 version of the suspension. And it's interesting because Mercedes made a big thing out of the moving their wishbone legs rearward um, two years ago, and then Red Bull did it and, as best they could. And you know, it's a, it was a big package for the car that we had with the flat floor regulations and the diffuser. Those regulations have changed a lot now because of the the underfloor, the diffuser being bigger than what it was, taller than what it was. So um, maybe having all the le- all the suspension links rearward is not as good an idea as getting some of them forward out of the way, because the airflow changes quite dramatically depending upon the height of the upper surface of that diffuser. So looking at the Haas, <coughs> um, it it hasn't gone the rearward leg route. Um, it's gone the forward leg route even more to, to more of an extent, to be honest. So um, if this is an, ex- uh, an example of what Ferrari are going to bring out as well, it's something that's different from the past, uh, from the, the the successful teams in the past, which were obviously Mercedes and Red Bull. Um, so it's different from that. So again, it'll be interesting to see um, which way every team takes. And also be interesting to see if this is actually the real one whenever we get to Barcelona, because... You never know to what extent the things change. I mean, I've I've had press releases with the car sitting on wooden blocks um, because it just wasn't all there, to be honest. Not because we wanted to do any trick, but just because we hadn't got the whole car. So um, that could be happening here as well. So it's a, it's a wait and see, I think you might call it, for this early release of a car. Because if you, if you have released your definitive car this early, then to be honest, it's out of date by the time you get to the first test. So... I would be very surprised if there's not some major changes coming pretty soon. Well, let's just move on quickly to expectations. I'm going to come to you, Scott, because you've got to move on in a moment because you are at the Race of Champions, in fact, in the, in the north of Sweden. So you've got things to uh, attend to. So before we, we lose you, you've spoken to Gunter Steiner and Simone Resta at length. What are the expectations for this team? How optimistic a Haas after, of course, they effectively wrote off last year, didn't they, to focus on this car? They've been running around in the lower lower reaches of the, of the grid the past few years. So 
are we expecting a, a proper jump into the midfield now? Do they feel upbeat about things? Well, they're not willing to put such a specific target on it because Gunter Steiner said to me that there is still an ele- an element of and feeling of caution within the organisation. I guess how how can there not be after the the two seasons they've they've just they've just had? But there is obviously a big shift in atmosphere around the team, and I think an extension of that is that Hass's prospects are already brighter because regardless of whether they go out in testing or get to the first race and they look like they have the sixth or seventh fastest car or, or they have the slowest car, it's, it's still a world away from where they were this time a year ago where they knew that whatever they had at the start of the season, it was probably only going to go one way from there because they weren't going to develop it. And the, Steiner's sort of slightly complicated way of characterising was basically they they got boxed in last year and they had no way to get themselves out of that box and the good thing about how they're looking at this year is that even if they get to the first race and in start to use Steiner's uh, phrasing, they find themselves in that box, they actually have the ability, the, the, the capacity, the potential to improve and to make things better. So whatever happens, it should be upwards. Um, so I think, there is, I think there is reasonable expectation. Obviously, the big reference point is the team's peak in 2018, sometimes having the third or fourth fastest car and... Uh, finishing fifth in the championship I think it would be um, probably over optimistic to aim for that uh, again this year but this team and as I was saying earlier about the technical structure it's all being geared towards a better longer term medium and longer term future for the team as well as hoping for a short term step so I think if the team can get back into being you know consistent Q2 contention and fighting for the odd Q3 fighting for points basically just not having as bleaker season as 2021 there's obviously a step forward and that is realistic that has to be the target anything beyond that obviously comes down to how good a job this new design structure and new design office has has done and how good a job it is at managing production and budget and everything that goes into developing a car during the in the budget cap era so it's going to be really interesting to see what they're actually capable of but yeah still an inherent bit of caution around around the team they don't want to set the sights too high well i think we can be quite upbeat about the step forward has can take i don't think they're going to be leaping to the front or anything but being a handy midfield performer and actually being able to score some points would be uh, a good foundation for that team we'll let you get on scott to make the most of your your woolly and warm headgear up there in sweden and we shall turn our attention back to the car with gary You're listening to the Aramco 2022 F1 Car Reveal Series. Aramco continuously push the limits of engineering. As the global energy partner of F1, they drive a shared vision to real-world innovation that aims to lower emissions, enhance performance, and drive ongoing human-led progress. Aramco, powered by Howe. Well, Gary, you mentioned the 2022 show car that came out last year and saying it looks very similar to it. And I know what you mean in terms of the structures, but there are some sort of visual differences. And obviously a lot of fans will go towards the sort of the basic visual differences. So different shape of front wing, there's a narrower nose, the front of the Venturis are a sort of different shape, the side pods much more swept back. So what do you make of those? And do you think that at least does show that there is scope for some variation within these quite prescriptive regs or do you think that the Haas is sort of the the more accurate template for the, all those shapes 
Well, I think you you have to look at the fact that there's you know we're um, catering for what four different engines um, in the in in different cars. The packaging for that dictates really the side pod shape to a certain extent, um, the cooling requirements and uh, all the location of all the componentry that go with these fairly complicated engines. So the uh, the the bodywork on the on the show car, I suppose you might call it, would have been to cater for that. It wouldn't have been a you know a definitive black and white cooling package for a Ferrari or a Mercedes or a Honda or a or a Renault. It would have been just a sort of Mister Average, uh, which is what they've got to create. Whereas this can be a, a package to suit the Ferrari, as I've I've said in my text part, the the inlets and the radiator exits uh, for the hot air to go through there. It's, um, they're what I call not big, um, but they're moved a bit. You know, the, the radiator inlets is a bit higher up um, because the leading edge of the underfloor is a bit higher up, and they also wanted the the undercut side pods. So the the airflow with the, the radiator intake should be probably more consistent with this front wing detail. It's not it's not so aggressive, and the as we used to call it the the um, Y two fifty. Vortex isn't sort of there now, isn't as involved with that flow regime. So the radiator intake should be better. The thing that has made them move move the radiator intakes in a little bit, I suppose, is the fact that they can't protect the the front of the side pod from the wheel wake so much. So there's there's no big turning vanes in front of the corner of the side pod to tidy up that wheel wake. Um, so again, getting them out of the way or getting them further inboard is probably a good solution. Um, and I think there's always detail that you can in the regulations. The way the, the what we call the prescriptive regulations are written defines where everything can be, and then you have leeway on a tolerance on that and leeway on on shape. So, uh, you know, we will see differences for sure. The thing that highlights differences is is how the uh, the artwork's done on it. How you you blend the artwork into the highlights of the bodywork. Um, so that that can obviously change the definition of something very very quickly. Um, but it, it's not as open as it was in the past by any means. So in reality, the cars are all going to be heading in the same direction. But the, the devil's in the details. So the performance is still in that detail somewhere along the line. You know, dotting the I's and crossing the T's with more regulations becomes more and more important. So you have to look at the detail of it and you find have to find those little bits to get the performance out of it. Mike Elliott, the technical director at Mercedes, said recently that he felt one of the key areas of difference between cars will be the treatment of the kind of the front of the floor, the entry to the Venturis. What do you see here? And it's probably also just worth explaining how all of that's trying to work, given this is the first 2022 car we've seen. Yeah, I mean, the, the entrance of the diffuser, uh, or the underfloor as such, uh, which leads through to the diffuser is is the important part. You have to get good, clean, tidy airflow into that area. Um, and that's the, the airflow that's coming off the front wing and off the front suspension. Now, again, on the on the front suspension of the Haas, the one thing we can see is that the bottom wishbone is is very, relatively, is very high. It's um, sort of about the centre line of the front wheel, really, where it comes out of the upright assembly. So that is trying to clear that area um, inside of the front tyre, uh, underneath the chassis and below the bottom wishbone well enough to get a, a good good consistent airflow into the uh, the tunnel and then you have to manage that and those large turning vanes that we see sticking out the front of both the 
the shoe car, the F1 produced, and the Haas. It's all about picking up that flow, and then some of it will be diverted out the side of the car. Um, again, like it was in, with last year's cars, because the diffuser is only as big as it is, and if you can turn the whole side of the floor into a, a bit of a diffuser as well and pull some of that airflow out underneath the underneath the sides of the floor, you will end up with a more overall from the downforce from the, from the underfloor by allowing the diffuser to pull the airflow through right from the front in the middle of the car. So that's where the dot in the I's and crosses the T's comes in because that, that is the detail you're going to have to go to. The curvature of those veins and the how the, 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 the trailing edge of them work and how they sort of operate turning that airflow around um, is the thing that will make or break it. And, and it's so such a fine line between it being very good for you or being a, a little bit in trouble, um, that it will take a lot of experiment. And, and also on the on the track, it will react differently to to on the track than it will in the wind tunnel. So you've got to get out there and you've got to get some miles in. And that's why this first test being a bit earlier than normal is, is such an important venture because most cars will change in detail after that. This is probably a very tough question to answer given the images we've got, but obviously it's the Ferrari power unit so this car is designed for the 2022 spec we know there's some changes there the packaging's meant to be a little bit more compact but probably all the engine manufacturers will say that for this year can you glean anything at all about the ferrari power unit packaging gearbox combination as you said it is quite tightly packaged at the rear of this car but then again that's a modern formula one car isn't it yeah modern formula one cars are always tightly packaged uh, the the big thing you've got to do is you've got to um be able to cool the car when you get to hot venues, that's the most important thing. Now, you can have a package of your car that creates great numbers in the wind tunnel, uh, but, you know, when it gets when the temperature gets above 10 degrees ambient, it won't actually cool enough. So you have to then have bigger, uh, bigger engine cover, um, bigger exits at the back of it or whatever to do that. And then that a lot of your high, or a lot of your very good aerodynamic performance disappears out the window. So... I've always tended to sort of end up with the the first car you build if you can to be the the worst scenario um sort of cool in the in high temperature circuits and I learned my lesson very early with the Yamaha in nineteen ninety two for that because it was a heat machine just basically it was a it didn't like to cool at all uh, and we went undercooled because we took our information from nineteen ninety one with the the uh, Cosworth engine. Um, and that was really wrong. Uh, so we had to do some dramatic cooling modifications. So I've always tried to go the other way around, make sure the cooling is good enough for you know thirty plus ambient degrees, um, and then you can make the car better when you can close it down a bit, rather than making the car aerodynamically very good with uh, very tight side pods and intakes and exits, um, and then you make it worse whenever you have to cool the car. So. Um, this package to me looks like it might either Ferrari have found some miraculous uh, on how to keep their engine performance there with the temperature, or this looks like a very tight package that will be seen to be bigger um, as soon as they hit somewhere with, where the sun's shining. Yeah, that's of course something we will see pre-season because although the first test is in Barcelona, which we're expecting to be quite chilly, we'll then be on to Bahrain, although uh, Bahrain sometimes can throw up its unpredictable weather. It's at least normally warm there, even if it can be a bit sandstormy occasionally. When you look at the the whole of this car in, in its entirety, obviously the aim is to make the cars less turbulence, etc. 
although it's not a dramatic departure from what we saw last year with the, the show car, do you look at this car and think, yeah, this makes sense, this probably will have that effect? Does the wind tunnel in your head able to uh, to calculate that? Um, it's one of those sort of things where, to be honest, we've, we've got so used to seeing the, the show car, I suppose, it pop, pops up everywhere, that we're just relating this to, to that. Um, uh, and I'm saying on the way there, it's, it's, it's very similar. A lot of small detail differences here and there, but it's very similar in concept and layout. Um, do I see it as being a package that um, will take them to the midfield? If we see the next few cars, and if basically if they if there hasn't been anybody able to go, um, you know, way out wacky with some some areas on the car, then this is a solid package. But there, I think I'd be very disappointed if there wasn't more leeway to do something a bit different to see to see something a bit a bit more adventurous in the design of something. So uh, I think it's one of those things we have to wait and see. I don't see anything wrong with the car. Again, it's not necessarily the the end result of what they're going to be going testing or racing with. So I, I think we have to wait with our judgment basically until we see the car turn wheels, and then you know you know that's uh, that's their base model, and we can make more better judgments from that point of view. But right now, I don't see anything wrong with it. I'd like to see it more adventurous, but maybe you can't within the set of regulations that we've we've got. Yeah, that's the interesting thing. The FIA and F1 are adamant there's lots of different freedoms for for design variation. But of course, just because you can vary it within the rules doesn't necessarily mean you will. And we will see convergence. It's just a question of whether that convergence is, is already happening or it'll take a, a year or two to, to really happen properly. The interesting thing is, if you look at the, the front of the car, that nose, the, the narrow nose, it's obviously still important to try and, as you mentioned earlier, get the best possible airflow to the the kind of front of the underfall. So do you think that's going to be an area where we might see even teams being even more aggressive with their with their nose designs in order to just get what little clean airflow extra they can through to that part of the car because that's all your downforce producing potential? Um, yeah, you know, the nose itself, again, has, it has a bolt-on component. So it's sort of one thing you can change. And the, the way the wing, the wing regulations say that the flaps has to connect to the nose, directly to the nose, as opposed to what we had before where the, the, the end of the flaps all stopped early. So you can't really have that gap now between the nose and, the, and where the flaps are working their hardest. Um, so it's, it's, as I say, it's, it's again the same sort of thing. It's very difficult to know whether this is a narrow nose or whether this is a wide nose until we see a few others within the same set of regulations. Um it's, it's one, again, it has to pass the crash test and, and all of that stuff. So it has to be structurally there to do to do its job. But there's probably other concepts coming that will be a bit different from this one. Um, it is the area where you've got to get the, that airflow through. More airflow you can get through there underneath the chassis, the better. So as the area you would focus on to, to try and achieve that. Um, has this car got um, the best solution to that? You know, again, it's, it depends on what others have found. So I think again, we have to wait and see. Unfortunately, the thing, the thing for me, um, I suppose you could say is that the 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 way the cooling package is done and the way the radiator inlets are raised up above the theoretically on that front view, for, uh, raised up above the the top wishbone, means it's all it's all about the the underneath flow, all about the underpod flow. They've been focusing on there, getting that radiator duct out of the way. Because what happens with the radiator duct is that as you go faster, the airflow that goes in that hole can't 
go through the radiator. So it blocks up as such. You get blockage in the radiator. There's still a certain airspeed going through that radiator, but it just can't flow anymore. So it spills around the side of the side pod. And the way that's detailed there very neatly and very uniformly will mean that spillage will be fairly uniform down the side of the side pod in that in that undercut area. So it 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 doesn't it won't have the effect it had on the on last year's cars because it, whenever it had that spillage, you know, it, it really did hurt the undercut of the side pod, which really hurt the the, um, the barge boards. So I think the, the simplification on this year on the twenty twenty two cars will mean they will be more consistent cars, which is is very important. And every little detail you can to get that little bit better airflow will still be will still be justified. Um, in your development program. It's also worth briefly talking about the rear wing again because the regulations on that are really quite tight, aren't they? So I presume what we see the rear wing of the car there, obviously the two elements, main rear wing, there's a beam wing lower down as well. That beam wing has returned as that's been gone for, for quite a few years prior to this. So that probably is pretty template, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the beam wing itself is is a very important part to go with the diffuser, so it's, it's nice to see it coming back again because we, uh, I, I sort of, um, I've always said about trying to get all the, the back of the car to talk to to talk to each other, the, all the parts of it. So you try to get the upper wing and the beam wing, and then the diffuser to to influence each other is maybe a better way of putting it. And the package that's there now, um, the beam wing is is much more aggressive than it, than than the sort of mounting wings that people have had over the last couple of years because they haven't been able to be aggressive. So um, I expect the whole back of the car to be a, a aerodynamically a stronger package, I suppose you might call it, a more robust package, just because the beam wing has been reintroduced uh, to to help the diffuser work more consistently, which in turn will help the upper wing work more consistently. The wing itself is visually is very different um, because of the way the end plates and the and then the the main plane and flap sort of blend into it with the with the slot gap, very similar to the front, to be honest. Um, so it's the same sort of concept. You're trying to stop those pressure differentials across the the corners of of the end plates from setting up the big vortexes that you see flying out the back of the car and affecting other cars. So it's all about trying to tidy up the flow for yourself um, with your car, and then the regulations are trying to tidy up the flow off your car the following car so if you happen to be the following car you benefit from that if you happen to be the leading car perhaps you might want to stick some bits in there that might actually make turbulence because it you know the more you can affect the car that's trying to pass you the more chance you have of not passing you so uh, the design engineers need a bit of skullduggery here and there you know they need to they need to uh, challenge what you can do to hurt somebody else never mind what you can do to make yourself better so uh, i expect to see a little bit of that as well and it'd be interesting to see who comes up with the best the most turbulent cars um, to try to stop people overtaking them. Yeah, that's going to be part of the skill set required for these cars. So to finish off, Gary, expectations. Scott talked earlier about what the team's expecting and it's trying to keep those in check. What are you expecting? They've been at the back of the grid for the past few years, so we should expect something more from them. But how much more based on what we know about what's changing with the team and what we can glean from this early version of the car? Well, I, I think the, the biggest thing for them basically is that um, their association with Ferrari. Ferrari, you know, want to bring on Mick Schumacher, 
hopefully to end up in a Ferrari like his father was for quite a few years and bring the same success to Ferrari. Whether that'll ever happen or not, we don't know. But I think Ferrari are not going to stand back and let Haas flounder too much longer. They spent their year in 2021 bringing their driver or drivers as it ended up being to a level where they've got um, a tough a tough year of experience in Formula 1. That tough year of experience is probably a good thing. You know, it could have been a bit better for them, but that could also have made it worse because there is tough times in Formula 1. You've got to be able to ride the storm and, and get through them. Um, so I think that I would love to see Haas in the midfield. And by the midfield, I'm saying, you know, sometimes knocking on the door of qualifying in the top 10, sometimes knocking on the door of points in the top 10, obviously. Um, and I think that's that would be justified for a team like they are with the backing of Ferrari and the intent for their main, for their number one driver as such. That would be the right place for them, to be honest. Um, I don't see why it shouldn't be because it is close there in that midfield. You know, you could end up 10th on the grid one weekend and 18th on the grid the next weekend and you really wouldn't have done much difference. Um, so that's the area they've got to get themselves into consistently. And if they can be there, then they're not off, they're not off the back of the pack. They're actually in the pack. And whenever you get into the pack, the motivation starts to sort of drive a little bit differently, you know, drive everybody a little bit differently. Um, and it will drive Ferrari a little bit differently. So I think all, all in all, they've got to land themselves in that midfield and then from there on in, they can step forward. They, they were there in the past, um, and they let it slip away. But because of that, they've got the experience of that now. So hopefully, they, you know, hopefully they'll be wide-eyed and not let it happen again. Yeah, I think they they deserve a bit of a a break this year as well. After all the slog through last year, it was a sound and pragmatic decision to really focus on this year's car. We've seen in the past what they can do technically. It's an unusual team set up, but. I think they can do a, a, a tidy job this year. I certainly expect to see them back in the points. Well, thanks very much, Gary, for your insight and also to Scott earlier. There's, of course, plenty to read from all of us at therace.com and don't forget the hyphen. And we also take a close look at the car in our latest video on YouTube. We've got plenty more 2022 F1 cars to look forward to with the next launch and edition of the Race F1 podcast next Wednesday when Red Bull unveils the RB18. Thanks for listening to the Aramco 2022 F1 Car Reveal Series.